And now, for, and now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to CPI Tuesday. That's right, this morning at 7.30, we get the much vaunted release of CPI. We'll go through those numbers this morning, expectations, what the market reaction might be this morning. Of course, you know, this is you know kind of what everybody's hoping, right? Here we go again. We do this every time, have a Fed meeting coming up tomorrow. The, the, actually, the Federal Reserve started their meeting today. Tomorrow, uh, they will make their policy announcement to hike uh, uh, rates by 50 basis points. Uh, conversation, of course, will be after that. It's really what Jerome Powell says about the inflation number. Now, this morning, markets are looking to point open higher. Dow's up about 200 points this morning. Of course, this is all anticipation of a much weaker than expected CPI number, right? So we keep hoping for these weak CPI numbers. That means the Fed's going to have to stop hiking rates. That means that's good for markets, right? We get more monetary accommodation, of course, as we've talked about before. Every time markets rally, the Fed comes out and says, not so fast, right? We still have to fight inflation. So expectations this morning, like I said, we'll get into the numbers here in a few minutes, but you know, expected to come down from last month's print. So inflation is cooling, right? That's the expectation. And hopefully that means the Fed will be, you know, more reticent to keep hiking rates aggressively at this point. So again, 50 basis point hike at this next meeting. The real point tomorrow is going to be, and again, this is why despite whatever the market does today, and there's a real possibility we could see a pretty strong jump this morning if the CPI number comes in weaker than expected. But be careful about that because again, what the Federal Reserve has made clear repeatedly is that they don't like these big moves higher. Why, as we've said before, it basically it, 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 it loosens monetary policy, and that's not what they want. They're trying to reduce accommodation to the markets. They're trying to reduce that, that consumer benefit of higher asset prices. So they don't want that because it eases monetary policy conditions. They want tighter monetary policy conditions. So expect a fairly hawkish statement tomorrow if we get a big move today. But nonetheless, yesterday, um, we've, we've talked about here uh, about this for the last you know week or so. Markets have been really just consolidating within this kind of sideways trading range. We haven't gone much of anywhere now over the last several weeks, really kind of bouncing right along that 100-day moving average. And again, even though we keep trying to, to, to you know, make an advance, we kind of keep coming back. And that 100-day moving average has just been a very big base of support now for the markets, really over about the last three, four weeks. Or really since the beginning of November, we've just kind of really kind of bounced along here. But we're now kind of setting up, as we said, you know, to expect the first two weeks of December to be sloppy. That's what it's been. Now we're getting set up for that end of the year trade, that Santa Claus trade. So again, markets nice rally yesterday in anticipation of a weaker CPI number this morning. Expectations are if we get a number that's substantially weaker than expected, we could see a big move today, you know, anywhere between one to three percent. You know, the last time that we had a weak CPI report, um, which was last month, the market jumped five and a half percent in a day. So again, these kind of outsized moves, certainly not unprecedented. <clears throat> but uh, as, as we said, though, be careful with this, because again, as, as we get a rally in the market, that's not going to be what the Fed wants. And that could lead the Fed to be much more aggressive in their language tomorrow. 
take the wind back out of the sales of the markets again. So again, just want to be a little bit careful here. Still on a sell signal at a fairly high level. So again, we'll see what happens today. Um, you know, and again, right now markets are pointing higher here at the open, but that will change at a moment's notice. If for any reason that CPI number comes out stronger than expected, hotter than expected, um, these futures are going to turn around very quickly. So, so again, just you know, don't get too excited about where the market is this morning because, again, that can change literally at a moment's notice as soon as we get that release at 7.30 this morning. We do have in today's daily market commentary, if you just subscribe to our daily commentary that we put out, we do have a little rundown on all the numbers, the stats, expectations on CPI this morning. So again, you can just go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the daily commentary link right there on the front page, uh, read the latest commentary. If you subscribe to it, we deliver that to you every morning right at 7.30 so you have it before the market open. Um, outside of that, again, this is really all going to come down today and tomorrow is going to be all about inflation and the Fed. What inflation does today is going, and, and look, the Fed already knows what the CPI number is. They already know what it is. When they go into their meeting this morning, they've already got the data. They knew it yesterday, day before Friday, whatever it was. Um, they've already got all this data. So they know exactly what is happening with inflation. So part their policy meeting over the next you know day, today and tomorrow is really just going through the numbers and understanding what their policy is and making that decision about what to do uh, with rates over the course of the next several months. But again, they've been very clear about this and we keep repeating this. They are not pivoting anytime soon. Despite what the market keeps trying to, to say here, the Fed is very clear. We are not pivoting, right? We're going to hike 50 basis points. That's still a very aggressive rate hike. It's 75 basis point was super aggressive. And yes, we're, we're going from four 75 basis point rate hikes to 50, but 50 basis points in history is still a very aggressive rate hike. Normally, 25 basis points is what you're looking for. A 50 basis point hike has always been an aggressive move. 75 is just almost unheard of, right? We did four in a row. Uh, but even though they are slowing rate hikes to 50 basis points, that's still aggressive. And again, what we may see tomorrow, depending on this number today, if, if, the, if the Federal Reserve doesn't think we're making enough progress here, could see another 50 basis point rate hike February the 1st at the next meeting, right? So got to be careful about this. And when we come back to really looking at what drives asset prices over time, you know, the one thing that we're, that markets are kind of missing in these rallies, and yes, the, the markets are rallying in hopes that the Fed's going to pivot, start cutting rates and going back to QE, but they have made no assertion they're going to do this anytime soon. And again, what they're trying to do is they, they want lower asset prices. They want to lower the wealth effect. They want that to go back so you'll stop spending so much money in the dang economy so we can get inflation down, right? That's not happened just yet. And so the Fed can see this, and this is why every time the market rallies a lot, they got to get upset and come and kind of smack around the markets a bit with a statement. They need that, those rates come down. But remember, we're still hiking rates. We're still tightening the balance sheet, which is going to take liquidity out of the markets. So again, even though the markets are rallying here, we continue to suggest being a little bit more cautious, raise a little bit more cash, because as we get into next year, the reality of all these rate hikes are going to start impacting the economy. Now, it doesn't mean the world has to fall apart here, right? But it certainly suggests there's going to be a big limit on the upside of where rate hikes are going to get to by this time next year. And, and look, here's, here's an important fact about this. Um, just this morning, 
uh, facts that came out with a prediction. They said that the market will trade at 4,500 next year. So if we go to 4,500, that puts us back to the peak of the market in March. So even if you get the, the, the target appreciation in the market next year from current levels, based on what the what fact set says, that doesn't even get you back to all-time highs. So you're still going to have a negative rate of return next year in your overall portfolio because you'll only be back to where we were in March. But that would imply a 22 times multiple on the market of earnings at $205 a share, according to S&P. For next year and those those earnings have to still come down so as earnings are going to come down and particularly if you do get slower economic growth in a recession those earnings are going to have to come down a lot which suggests that really this upside potential for the market becomes much more limited anyway um i'm your host lance roberts of course uh realinvestmentadvice.com's website get our daily commentary with the inflation numbers in there uh that's that's on the website right now for you realinvestmentadvice.com we'll be right back talk more about inflation FTX, what happened with Sam Bankman-Fried, and what I'm buying my mom, my wife for uh, Christmas. I figured it out. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. because on Fox News right now, there's a headline. John Fetterman, who uh, was just elected to the Senate, makes the New York Times most stylish list. Now, this is the guy that when whenever you see this guy, I mean, even for public appearances, right? He's like he's wearing, you know, shorts and a hoodie. So I'm not, I'm not sure how that qualifies as most stylish. But when you look up sartorial in the dictionary, his name does not appear. <laughs> I just, you know, but there's, there's, you know, look, you, you can, you can dress hip and be very stylish, yeah, right? Yeah. You can do that. You can. You can, but I'm not sure that, you know, Crocs, shorts, and a hoodie qualify as stylish. But mm. hey, I think, I think we're going to need to re, uh, recount on that vote. Whoever did that. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, you know, uh, one of the big challenges in my household, I've talked about this before, is always buying my wife presents because, you know, after she married me, there was really not much else to get her. Um, <laughs> I'm jo- I'm and joking. you're humble about it, too. <laughs> I'm just joking. But no, I, so uh, the other night we were, I, I finally figured out what I'm going to get her for Christmas, though, Brent. It took me a lot of time of thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get her a pair of jumper cables because she's always <laughs> trying to start crap. That means just. <laughs> Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> that comes under the, the category of appliances. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, don't buy your wife appliances that falls in there. 
No, I'm still struggling. I haven't. I haven't. You know, we just got through the. She has birthday on uh, December the first. Yeah. I'm in the same Not boat, man. Christmas. My wife does the same thing. She gets everything she wants on Amazon. Yeah. And then, come the middle of December, I'm struggling. You know, know. to find something. I, I'm still. I'm still. I'm still trying to figure it out. So. Yeah. Because, again, you know, and it's also she's very difficult to buy for because, A, she buys most everything she wants. But, you know, it's she's also very picky about things. So it makes it even more difficult. My daughter uh, had, had had an idea. She, you know, my wife loves goats. And she's like, why don't you rent a goat for a day? Goats? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, my wife has has a, so goats and donkeys. She loves she and ducks. I, oh my gosh, I can't forget ducks. She is crazy about ducks. Oh, and then there's this dragon thing too. Well, no, no, that was just the one that was blowing down oh, okay. the street. Yeah, but Goats. no, she's she is crazy about ducks. So, but you, I'm not getting a duck to put in the house. Yeah, unless I'm going to eat it. But <laughs> <laughs> but as soon as I bought a duck, she named it Howard. That'd be the end of the yeah. story. Yeah. So anyway, I, I still I've still got to come up with a Christmas present. Goats. And I'm running out of days here. By the way, if you didn't know this, it's uh, it's 12 days to Christmas as of today. Literally. So, literally. Um, okay, so CPI, uh, talking about that this morning. That's the kind of the big news. 7.30, we'll get that release. Uh, NASDAQ's up about 56 points right now. Uh, S&P's up 19. Dow is up about 200 points this morning, following a about a one and a half percent advance yesterday in anticipation of today's report. Everybody's banking on a weaker than expected number, right? So, and and uh, Goldman Sachs out this morning suggesting that if we do get a much weaker than expected number, that you know we could see you know a, a very big market move. So, so again, um, and this is kind of based off last month's analysis, right? I mean, so last month we had a weaker than expected print and CPI. The market was up five and a half percent for the day. Um, consensus this morning is looking for a mixed release with the headline rate of consumer prices seen decelerating slightly to 0.3 percent month over month. So again, we were 0.4 uh, on a month over month basis last month. PPI just came in hotter than expected. So again, you know, we'll see what happens with CPI. There's a lot of moving parts to it and adjustments and mathematical calculations. So it's really kind of a hard guess of what it's going to be. Um, the core rates expected to remain unchanged at 0.3% on a month-over-month basis, which was the same as last month. On an annual basis, headline CPI is expected to print 7.3%. Now, that will be down from 7.7% prior. Okay, so there's the big number. So if we see a – so what Goldman Sachs is saying is a number that's greater than 7.7. So – Inflation comes in hotter than expected this morning. Market will be down 3% or more. Um, between 7.4 and 7.7. So if we get a 7.7, which would be uh, you know last month, right? So that's no change. Or anything below that that is hotter than the expectations of 7.3. So 7.4, 5, 6, or 7. Market will be down 1% to 2% today. If we get anywhere between 7 to 7.3, so if we come in line with expectations today down to 7%, market will gain 2 to 3%. And if there's anything with a 6 handle on it this morning, then we could see a 3% plus gain. Um, so, again, you know, these are, these are 
pretty big expectations. But again, just kind of shows you the volatility. And this is again based on, you know, the the prints this year we've had of CPI. Markets have been doing exactly that, being up or down three percent. Um, so whether they were hotter or cooler. And again, this is all and the reason why why is that? Right. So first of all, we have no market liquidity to start with. So that really adds to the volatility potential for the markets. But the second reason is, is, is again, we get a weaker number. Everybody goes, oh, my gosh, the Fed's going to start cutting rates. Right. That's not what the Fed's going to do. Right. Everybody is afraid of trying to miss the bottom. And, and everybody's worried that if you don't buy the bottom, then there's not going to be another opportunity to get money into the markets. But this is why we've talked about before that you don't want to be zero weight in the equities either. Because, again, yes, we're 35 percent equity. So if the market moves one percent today, we'll make 35 bips, but we'll still be making money. Right. You know, having no equity exposure, being short the market really leaves you exposed to an upside move. So this is why this has been a very tough market to navigate this year because of these outsides moved in, in one direction or another. So, you know, this is going to be the real, you know, kind of the real issue. Now, in October, CPI fell, you know, sharply after readings in both August and September. Housing is going to be the key component here. Housing prices have been coming down, but are they have and because of the lag effect of declining housing prices and, and as that filters into homeowners equivalent rent and see, there's the big trick, right? For CPI, 40 percent ish of CPI is this homeowners equivalent rent, which is basically a survey that says, Brent, you own your house. If you were going to rent your house out, what would you rent it for? Well, here's the problem right now in the housing market. There's a standoff between buyers and sellers. Buyers are used to these high prices and they're not willing to lower the price of their house. Like, I'm not selling it for less than, you know, whatever. Uh, just a good example, my, you know, I told you that we sold our house back in, in June of this year. Uh, we moved out in July and we're renting a house now. So, you know, we're still, you know, kind of, you know, we're in a, we're in a rental for two years, so we're in no rush. But, you know, we're looking for our next piece of property, house, whatever we're going to do, right? So we're just kind of shopping around. Well, there's been a, uh, we looked at a house uh, the other day as an example, uh, more window shopping than anything else. But the house is a flip. So this couple bought this house, completely redid it. Beautiful job. Gorgeous house. They overpaid for the house to start with. Then they renovated it. So they've got to get a certain number out of this house, and, and they're trying to basically make about a 50% profit on this flip. The problem is, is the, markets, the, the house has been on the market since September, right? Now, they're not willing to lower the price of the house. They're convinced that somebody's going to buy this house at what is conceivably now a very expensive house in the market. But this is what I mean by this buyer standoff. The sellers are going, hey, we'll buy the house from you, but you're going to have to lower the price of the house. It's just, uh, you know, at 7.5% mortgage rates, I just can't afford that payment. And I know what's going on in the rest of the economy. You're going to have to come down in the price of that house. And, and, and buyer, and this isn't just this one house. This is happening everywhere, right? There's this, there's this standoff between buyers and sellers. Buyers are like, hey, you want to buy the house? Pfft. You know, you have to pay up for it. And everybody's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And so houses are sitting on the markets longer. But here's the point about this. So Brent has this house, and he's convinced that the price of the house is still, you know, Brent's fairly well off, so he lives in a million-dollar house. So Brent still, 
you know, is, is convinced his house is worth a million bucks. So easy math, right? If I'm going to rent a, a million dollar house, I'm going to have to do, I'm going to have to charge at least $7,000 a month, right? That's the mortgage rate. So Brent's going, "Hey, I'll, I'm I'm charging 7,000." Okay, so he's stuck at this number. So now the survey comes up and says, "Brent, well you own your house, what will you rent your house for? $7,000." That number's not potentially coming down. So my point is that that homeowner's equivalent rent, which is a big chunk of CPI, may not be coming down as fast as we expect it should with mortgage rates where they are because of this kind of buy-off, the standoff that's going on between buyers and sellers. That could have an impact on the declination of CPI this morning. We'll see. But that, that's going to be the one thing to kind of watch in there is, is that there's some of these components that potentially have not come down as much as we would expect food cost being one of them, which is another big component of the CPI calculation. Uh, fuel costs have come down, gasoline, energy, those have come down, apparel's come down, you know, because of inventory um, overhangs, then people are starting to have to start discounting. But those are smaller components of the CPI calculation, so they may not have as big of an impact. So there is, so the point here is that there is a risk and that, you know, we do come in with a more spicy CPI number this morning than what the markets may be expecting. Um, again, I have no idea. Well, well at 7.30, we'll know. We'll write it up in tomorrow's uh, daily commentary and have the results out for you as well. But again, uh, we have all the estimates uh, this morning in our daily market commentary. So go by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, right there on the homepage. You can, there's a button for that says, big icon that says daily market commentary. You can either read today's um, commentary or subscribe for email delivery every morning, 7.30 uh, newsletter as well, and this YouTube channel. It's all right there on the same page, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. The Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You know, I wish I had a talent for script writing because... This whole Sam Bankman freed FTX saga has a movie written all over it um, at some point. Young tech California whiz kid delves into the cryptic world of cryptocurrency, builds this firm, becomes a billionaire behind the scenes, you know, using, you know, commingling client funds, falling in love with, uh, you know, your head trader of, of your kind of sister firm. You're shoveling money back and forth between the two, having this affair with her. Uh, the whole thing comes apart. Everything, everything goes wrong. 
and your girlfriend slash lover turns rat with the FBI and turns you in, right? And um, yesterday, Sam Bankman-Fried was arrested in the Bahamas, charged with wire, wire fraud, wire, wire fraud, conspiracy, securities fraud, and conspiracy to commit securities fraud. Um, this is going to be a very interesting thing to watch and, and the end result of this. Again, you know, the, the guy that is now the CEO of FTX is the former head of Enron who took them through the bankruptcy process as well um, when Enron went bankrupt back in early 2000. So again, the, the Securities and Exchange Commission, I'm reading this off the headlines, um, have, have filed this indictment and they are also saying that this was basically a house of cards. And so this is not going to turn out well. You know, the, one of the problems that, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried's going to have is that he's been on this whirlwind media tours of late, you know, trying to pull off this simple jack defense, which is I was just basically too stupid to know what was going on and I had no idea and it wasn't me and it was, it was every, everybody else, but you're the, you're the head of the firm, right? I mean, you're the guy that is, is putting it out there. Of course, you know, the, the lawyers that were wanting to potentially represent him have had to be going, just shut up, please stop talking. Just stop talking <laughs> at this point. He was supposed to testify to, today? Yes. Uh, yeah, today on Capitol Hill. Um, that has now been denied. He will not be doing that, basically, because he's been arrested and waiting extradition. But finally, the lawyers got to him and said, stop talking. And so, you know, this is this, this is going to be kind of interesting because, again, he's laid out his whole case in the, in the public, um, trying to play the simple jack defense. I, I screwed up. I didn't know what I was doing. It was just bigger than me. And, you know, there's just that's just not going to hold up well. But pretty much you've admitted to the whole scheme already in public media. And, all, and you know, whoever was putting the case together on you, was sitting there going, well, I'll just use that. I'll just use that one. I'll just use that one. It just basically laid out the case. So anyway, um, the the sentence on this is, is interesting. Um, there was a, a gentleman a lawyer that had made the assessment that he could get up to 612,000 years in prison. And this is how he got to the number. That ain't going to happen, by the way. <laughs> you know, I predict probably if if he goes to prison, right, 15 to 20 years, minimum security, fed, you know, federal prison. Um, but there are some mitigating factors here. Um, federal sentencing guidelines, I'm going to read this because it's too complicated for me to, to quote it off the top of my head. Federal sentencing guidelines follow a numeric system to determine the maximum and minimal, minimum allowable sentence. And that's the, that's the key word here, the minimum allowable sentence. But the system can be esoteric. So the scale or offense level starts at 1 and maxes out at 43. So obviously, the higher the number, the worse it is off for you. A wire fraud conviction rates as a 7 on the scale. So if he's convicted of wire fraud, he's immediately at 7. With a minimum sentence ranging from 0 to 6 months. So no big deal. But mitigating factors and enhancements can alter that scale. The dollar value of the loss plays into plays a significant role. Under the guidelines, any loss above $550 million adds 30 points to the base level. So he's got four charges. Just assume one. Wire securities fraud, he's at seven. 
losses of $550 million adds 30. Okay, these people lost billions of dollars. So he's already at 37 out of a possible 43. Having 25 or more victims adds another six points of certain regulated markets, and that adds four. So there's another 10. So that means that, that you know, under that scale, right? I mean, he's already maxed out. So, you know, he's facing potentially life in prison over this. But I, I, look, again, big Democratic donor. Range, the, the, the amount of donations ranges from 30 million to a billion. Nobody knows for sure exactly how much money got shoveled, you know, into political figures. But that's the point about that is, is it wouldn't matter if that was Republican money, right? You made a lot of friends politically. That's going to help pull, you know, some phone calls are going to get made. This is, hey, young, you know, take it easy on him. So, again, you know, I doubt he, I very seriously doubt he gets life in prison, but it could be a pretty stiff sentence. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the, the, the ultimate consequence of this is whether he goes to prison or not, right? Um, you're never going to be involved in the securities markets again. You know, that, that's, that's going to be part of the, you know, end of this. So, you know, it's a shame at the end of the day. I'm sure he had the best of intentions. And, I, you know, I'm not so I'm not so sure. You know, there's a lot of people that say he's he's kind of like an Elon Musk, right? He's super sharp. He knows everything that's going on. Maybe he is a simple jack. Maybe, he, you know, maybe this was just a lot bigger than him. And he really knew his stuff about, you know, creating an exchange. And maybe he really knew his stuff about cryptocurrency. But running a business, being the CEO of a company that is worth billions of dollars of other people's money, right? At the ripe old age of 26, 27, 28. I mean, you just don't have the life experience for it, right? Don't have the business experience for it. And so maybe it did just all get away from him. Maybe he was coerced and duped by the people that were around him. And because there's apparently, out of all this money that's magically disappeared, there was a billion dollars worth of money granted to employees in terms of loans, Right. Oh, you want to go buy a house? Well, here's a loan for a hundred million dollars to go buy a house. You know, whatever. So, you know, you just don't do that. But again, you know, he probably didn't know better. I'm I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping. I mean, he seems like a nice guy, but you know, this this is just not gonna go well. But you know, the 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 end story of this, unfortunately, is twofold. One is that this will be a very sad ending to his potential life. I mean, this guy, it was, you know, he'll, he'll be in prison going, yeah, I was a billionaire once. You know, that sucks. That just, uh, that's terrible. You, you kind of got life by the tail. You're famous. You've got all the money in the world, you, more than you could ever, ever possibly spend in your lifetime. And, you know, you reach too far, right? You reach for the sun, you eventually get burned. And... The other side of this, of course, is this just throws the whole crypto, this kind of emerging cryptocurrency market environment into question, right? This was supposed to be the great innovation. This was supposed to be the thing that changes the way that we operate. It was going to be, you know, there's, a, you know, the, the group of, of kryptonite people over here. They were like, oh, this is going to get rid of the currency. We, you know, we won't need the U.S. dollar anymore. It just, and, and it's going to be a free market system. And, and it was all great ideas, right? 
but you know these type of things just throw all that into question. Um, U.S. stablecoin is now limiting withdrawals of their stablecoin. Now this is the the dollar linked coin, crypto coin that basically replicates the U.S. dollar, so to speak. In other words, it has a stable value of one. But they're having to limit withdrawals because people are concerned. It's like, are you the next FTX? We don't know. See, I mean, you know, now the whole thing's into question. You know, Binance is still alive. They're now the 100, you know, the 800-pound gorilla in the exchange market. But are they next? Right? See, we just don't know. And that's what I'm saying. You know, what happens is when you have this type of development, it just throws the whole system into question. And nobody knows. It's like, is my money safe? Look, there are people that had all their life savings in FTX. Now they have nothing. You know, this this is real damage to real people and real markets. And and yeah, I mean, this, you know, you know, Sam Bankman Freed, you know, simple jack defense or not, whatever happens to him happens. But there are real people that lost real money and it's all the money they had. This isn't a bunch of just, you know, rich, you know, rich, you know, private equity people that, you know, lost a few billion bucks by investing in the startup company. This was real money that belonged to real people. Those assets are gone and recovery is going to be hard. There's like a hundred million dollars in real estate in the Bahamas that was accumulated. I'm interested to see if ultimately uh, Sam Bankman Freed's parents don't get drug into this because they were buying properties in the Bahamas for FTX. But the Bahamian authorities are now wanting those properties back to try to raise some assets to give back to some of the customers. And this is the same thing that the new CEO of FTX is trying to do as well, is now going through. And he's he's even said the same thing. He says, this is just a, a mitigated mess, worse than Enron. That's, that's a leap, by the way, to be worse than Enron. But he's just trying to recover assets, trying to get, you know, the, the depositors some of their money back. We'll see how it goes. All right, quick break. Be right back. Other side of the break, don't go away. Investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show.
show this morning. Uh, so just to wrap up our FTX conversation, uh, there's some more headlines hitting just even just over the break here. Um, this coming from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission said it will file charges against FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried on Tuesday relating to violations of securities laws, accusing him of orchestrating a scheme to defraud equity investors in FTX and seeking to ban him from the crypto industry. Again, like I said, that's not surprising. Um, we allege, this is from SEC Chair Gary Gensler, uh, who has also just been found out to be, you know, deleting meetings with high-ranking political figures off of his calendar. Um, we allege that Sam Bankman-Fried built a house of cards on a foundation of deception while telling investors that it was one of the safest buildings in crypto. The SEC made the announcement Monday morning after the Bahamian authorities arrested Sam Bankman-Fried. The U.S. Attorney's Office, Southern District of New York, confirmed. Now, so there's a couple of things going on. You got the SEC. There's civil and criminal charges being filed. So, you know, civil charges just get you a fine and banned from the industry. Criminal ch charges get you jail time. Uh, Gruber Grewal. Uh, we commend our law enforcement partners for securing the arrest of Sam Bankman Free on federal criminal charges. The SEC, so this is what I'm talking about. The SEC, civil, has authorized separate charges relating to his violations of the securities laws to be filed publicly tomorrow in the Southern District of New York. So again, you've got federal criminal charges, that's your jail time. Your civil charges come out of the SEC, that is going to be fines, penalties and banning from the industry. So possible outcomes range all over the board. Could get no jail time, but never be able to work in the industry again, right? You know, you hear about these guys that commit com computer hacking, right? They can never touch a computer again for the rest of their lives, that type of thing. Um, you know, you'll never be allowed back in the industry. Uh, not sure that anybody would trust him anyway, but, but there you go. Um, the SEC has charged Bankman Freed with violating anti-fraud provisions of the Securities Act of 1933 and the Securities and Exchange Act of 1934. Uh, by the way, if you don't know the story about this, just kind of an interesting byline of history, and, and unfortunately we don't really kind of pay much attention to history anymore, but you know, there was a point in time where the securities markets were not very well regulated. Um, 1920 to 1929, banks were taking money, loaning it to their customers to buy the IPOs that the banks were issuing, right? So it was one big closed loop. I loan Brent money, and then I turn around and say, oh, I'm going to loan you $100,000 to buy this IPO I'm coming out with. And Brent goes, that sounds great, right? Because everything's just going up. 1929, Stocks hit a permanently high plateau. It's all over. Stocks crashed between 1929 and 1933. Lose 85% of their value. And then, as is always the case, after you have an event, whatever it is. And, of course, don't forget, at the peak of that 1929 bubble was Charles Ponzi with the original Florida real estate Ponzi scheme. Hold that thought for a moment because we're going to come back to it. So after the crash, and we realize that banks should be playing with the, you know, playing both sides of the markets, we say, okay, we're going to separate things out. So we established the Securities and Exchange Acts of 1933 and 1934. 1933 established the SEC. 1934 Act put it into action with all the regulations. Then we passed the 
um, Investment Act of 1940 for mutual funds. Um, and things ran pretty well, honestly, um, through 2000. And then we kind of started started dinkering with laws, starting easing up financial restrictions and allowing banks and brokers to play together again and removing the Chinese walls and all that. And then, of course, once you start doing all those type of things and making it easier for, for banks to become Wall Street, and now it's one big closed circular loop again, like it was in 1920 to 1929, you have bad things happen in the markets. Of course, 2008, you have the big crash at the peak of the market going into 2008, what do you have? Bernie Madoff with the Ponzi scheme. So everything's fine. Then following the financial crisis, we start fueling the markets with all kinds of money. We relax regulations. We ignore things. We allow all kinds of other stuff to happen. Uh, you know, uh, share buybacks go crazy. Stocks are, 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 are running out of, of, of madness. And then in 2020, we just flood the markets with liquidity. And we start coming out with SPACs and IPOs and everybody's just coming to market. And, and there's so much money chasing so few assets that nobody's paying attention to the risk. We're just buying everything. And you have a big bubble. And at the peak of the bubble, you have another fraud. Happens every time, right? And so we're going to get more regulated. So the point about this is, is that the SEC is charging him under violations of the Act 3334, but we're going to get more regulation coming out of this eventually because it's what happens. You know, after the dot-com crash, we had what? Sharbanes-Oxley. Got to fix the, the Enron problem. 2008, 2000, 2007, 2008, financial crisis, we're going to have Dodd-Frank. Right? We defanged that one pretty quick because that was impairing the banks from ripping off, I mean, uh, helping customers. <laughs> so we'll have regulation after this as well. But that's what happens. We always have to come in and put the fire out after the fire is already out, right? We never, we, never, we never think about these things in advance. We always relax these regulations. Oh, that'll never happen again. And then, of course, it happens. Um, United States District Court of Southern District of New York um, has filed their charges and... They And so these are the kind of the headlines uh, of the charge uh, from at least May 2019 through November 2022. Now, that's not very long, right? May 2019 through 2022. Um, Bankman Freed engaged in a scheme to defraud equity investors in FTX Limited. Uh, Bankman Freed portrayed himself as a responsible leader of the crypto community. And this is this is part of that simple jack defense, right? That's going to be a problematic for him because he was out touting his his expertise. Bankman Freed hit all of his uh, all of the um, facts of using customer funds to make undisclosed venture investments, lavish real estate purchases, and large political donations. They hit all that from FTX's equity investors, including U.S. investors, from whom he sought to raise billions of dollars in additional funds. Then there's going to be the other problem with the equity, private equity guys. They're they're going to come after him as well. While he spent lavishly on office space and condominiums in the Bahamas, sank billions of dollars of customer funds into speculative venture investments, he built a house of cards, which began to crumble. Bangman Free directed FTX to divert billions more in customer assets to Alameda, that's where his girlfriend worked, uh, to ensure that it maintained its lending relationships and that money could continue to flow in from lenders and other investors. So, so basically, it was almost a Ponzi scheme, right? You're, you're bringing money in from investors to fund other investors, right? That's basically a Ponzi scheme. Uh, 
They conclude by saying, but Bankman-Fried did not stop there. Even as it was increasingly clear that Alameda and FTX could not make customers whole, Bankman-Fried continued to misappropriate FTX customer funds. That's going to be the part that hangs him up a bit. His brazen multi-year scheme finally came to an end when FTX, Alameda, and their tangled web of affiliated filed for bankruptcy in November 11, 2022. First thing to note in the sheet is, as I said, is from May 2019, and by which that's what the SEC means as being FTX's entire existence. So FTX went from nothing to major fraud in two years, three years. Pretty incredible. Good 36 months of living, though. Tiger by the tail. You just have to make sure that uh, it doesn't come back to bite you, unfortunately. Um, okay, so again, uh, right now, futures kind of holding up about 218 points in the Dow. S&P's up about 24. NASDAQ's up about 60 or so this morning. Um, again, you know, this is all predicated on this idea that we're going to get weaker than expected inflation data this morning. We'll find out. Uh, 7.30, that number comes out, and this market will either be up a lot or down a lot within seconds. So, you know, I, I, there, there's nothing you can do about it. If you're, if you're long the market, great. It may work out great for you today. It may not. If you're short the market, it may be a great day. It may be a terrible day. It's, it's just depending. And, and again, you can't do anything about it right now because you can't trade the market till the market's open. So, um, you know, for most people, unless you're an institution, then you can trade pre-market all day. Um, but, you know, this is just, you know, we'll see what happens. Again, this, there's, you know, the, the problem with these economic data points is they're not simple math. There's, you know, if, if we could look at a set of data and just say, this is the data that calculates this number, we know most of that data. But there's so many mathematical adjustments that go on, you know, kind of behind the scenes and coming up with these numbers, it makes it impossible to come up with any type of accuracy on these assessments. So again, and, but we even got to count that. I mean, this has become ridiculous now. My markets are living from one economic data point or fed point we have 32 minutes and 13 seconds to the cpi report according to the countdown clock on cpi it is not really that important of a number the reality is is that inflation is high and the fed's going to keep hiking rates until they break something to bring inflation down that's the real story what the number is today is irrelevant because guess what it ain't going to be two percent inflation Anyway, wraps up the show. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk more about this with uh, Danny Ratliff as well. Uh, we'll figure out what happens today and what we need to do next. <clears throat> so enjoy your day. Um, be sure and get the daily market commentary out this morning, as well as our latest newsletter and our blog post talking about where the best places to invest will be in the first half and second half of next year. That's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back tomorrow.